I'm Mike Simmons, and this is the Yearbook Wise Podcast. Friends, it's good to be back with you after another couple of weeks as we make our way through season two of the Yearbook Wise. Uh, Today I bring to you an interview I did with Rebecca Pollard, one of the 2018 Distinguished Yearbook Advisors of the Year from JEA. Rebecca is uh, an absolute wonder and really a a delight to talk to and and learn from. Uh, She and I had a a wide-ranging conversation about all of the different things that we can do to take our staffs to a more journalistic place in the development of their yearbooks. Rebecca was recognized last year as a 2017 Special Recognition Advisor in the H.L. Hall Yearbook Advisor of the Year Awards competition. And uh, to go from Special Recognition to Distinguished in just one year, I think really speaks uh, a great deal to her credibility and expertise uh, and, and the fine work that she's doing with the kids at Lovejoy High School down in Lucas, Texas. Before I get into my conversation with Rebecca, uh, I do want to note just a couple of the things that we, we talked about. Uh, we range everything from talking about the, the historical record uh, and qualities of, of some of the simpler things, or perhaps some of the things that get overlooked sometimes uh, that add great journalistic value to our yearbooks, to uh, focusing on making steady gains with our staffs and not trying to bite off you know, too much all at one time. She helped me challenge some of my own assumptions about how we do uh, what we do, and we were able to highlight some of the modules that she's been able to help in development of in the JEA curriculum, which is just a wildly rich resource uh, that I would encourage you to take a look at. Now, as I record this on Thursday, January 31st, uh, I want to lift up something that happened just yesterday, which was the uh, recognition of January 30th as Student Press Freedoms Day nationally. Uh, The JEA Scholastic Press Rights Committee, the Student Press Law Center, the Freedom Forum Institute, uh, who underwrite and support the Museum in Washington, D.C., they and student journalists and advocates and allies around the country uh, got together to recognize the power of the First Amendment in our student journalist lives. Additionally, the Freedom Foreign Institute and Museum, along with the SPLC and Executive Director Hadar Harris, have designated 2019 as the Year of the Student Journalist. Now, for more of this and more of the resources uh, that are being provided to advisors and staffs uh, for the upcoming year, uh, you can check out splc.org. Uh, You can also find the JEA Scholastic Press Rights Committee, of which I'm a member, at jeasprc.org. If you or your students are active on Twitter, you can follow the hashtag studentpressfreedom. And certainly, if you you go there now and uh, search that tag, you'll see all sorts of posts, uh, dozens if not many hundreds, uh, that, uh, that hit Twitter yesterday. All of this dovetails nicely with the New Voices movement, Uh, again, uh, a a campaign that you can learn more about at uh, the SPLC's website. Um, I'm involved and active in New Voices New York. There are active campaigns in Nebraska, Arkansas, Texas, Hawaii, uh, Missouri, just to name a few. I think Pennsylvania has a bill now. But the New Voices campaigns nationwide are a grassroots movement that aim to enshrine the uh, or return students to the Tinker Standard uh, in their state houses. 
in recognition of the fact that students do not uh, shed their constitutional rights at the schoolhouse gate, which is to say that they would be more fully protected uh, in their First Amendment rights of free speech and freedom of the press as they report and do the good work of journalism uh, at their schools. Fourteen states are protected uh, under the Tinker Standard or better, and 36 others are uh, awaiting those protections. They operate under the Hazelwood Statute. I'm not going to get into that on this episode, but I would point you to the SPRC and also to its podcast, which, full disclosure, I help co-host with Kristen Taylor of the Harker School. Kristen, for uh, Student Press Freedoms Day, released an excellent episode that is a uh, look back at 50 years of Tinker with Mark Goodman from Kent State. Uh, The podcast, again, is called Conversations at the Schoolhouse Gate. I will link to it in the description for this episode of Yearbook Wise and would really love to have you go over and check out the five episodes of, uh, of that content there. Two, if you're keen on First Amendment issues and have questions about what your students can and cannot report on or cover in their yearbooks, I would direct you back to the episode that I taped live in Chicago that was episode 24, published in November. Uh, on student press freedoms and censorship for yearbook. And uh, we had a fantastic conversation with Sarah Nichols, Brian Wilson, and Lori Keekley, who chairs the SPRC uh, in front of a live audience in Chicago. So uh, all of that is to say uh, the First Amendment, it's important. Student press freedoms are important. And we need to be well-versed and well-educated so that we can advocate for our students uh, and their journalism when they face obstacles uh, or possible censorship from administrators, or uh, perhaps even worse, when they self-censor and think to themselves, well, we couldn't possibly cover that story because they're just going to tell us no anyway. Our students need to be empowered and their voices need to be heard. So I'll step off the uh, soapbox for now and uh, get us into this conversation with Rebecca. I do hope you enjoy it as we uh, travel down a path to more journalistic yearbooks. Here's my conversation with Rebecca Pollard. Joining me on the podcast today is Rebecca Pollard, uh, advisor of the Leopard Yearbook at Lovejoy High School in Lucas, Texas. Rebecca, how are you? I'm good. How about you? Really well here. Thanks for uh, thanks for taking the time today. Um, Rebecca, getting right into it, um, could you share with the audience a little bit about your yearbook background and and how you got to to where you are today and what you're doing today? Uh, Sure. Um, First off, I just wanted to say I'm excited to be on uh, your podcast. I am a huge fan. I've listened to every episode, and so I'm super honored that you asked me to be here today. It's a pleasure to have you on. Good. Thank you. Um, Okay, um, let's see. I am in my 19th year of education um, and 18th year advising classic journalism. Um, I have advised all of the mediums at some point between broadcast, yearbook, newspaper, online, and lit mag. And uh, currently, I'm in my second year at Lovejoy High School in Lucas, Texas, uh, advising yearbook and teaching photojournalism. Um, I've also taught journalism and uh, done some other various things along the way. Uh, currently, right now, I am a PALS coordinator at our school, so that's also fun to work with the kids, getting them over to the elementary schools and the middle school, working with um, some kids there to guide and coach them. Wow. And and where did you take your training uh, in college or university? Um, I actually graduated from the University of Texas at Arlington. And uh, my degree was in communications. And when I actually got out of school, I had no idea what I wanted to do. Um, And at the time, I was working uh, for Bank of America, and I was being uh, groomed for management. 
And this was back in 2000. And I really just wasn't sure where my life was going to lead at that point. And uh, at some prodding of my parents, they both are in education um, and retired now, but uh, they were like, you know, you'd make a great teacher. You should look at it. And so finally, uh, my dad uh, called one of our human resource people in the first district I was at. And ever since then, it's pretty much been history. Well, that's fantastic. And, and it's really interesting for me to hear that you've done it all, um, all of the different domains within um, journalistic and uh, journalism advising. Um, it gives you a really broad base to, to draw on. Um, the thing that I wanted to talk with you about today um, goes to um, something that you shared in your, um, your, your submission to the um, HL Hall Yearbook Advisor of the Year Awards. You were named um, in December of 2018 Distinguished Yearbook Advisor. Congratulations. Thank you. It was a big surprise. Yeah, that must have been a great day to get that news. Yes, absolutely. It did. It came at the best time. I love that uh, when that kind of news hits at a really heavy time uh, at work. And um, it surely did. It definitely made my uh, steps a little lighter that day. I like it. It's a great, uh, great Christmas present, too, right around that time. But um, yes, one, of the, absolutely. one of the things that stuck out to me was that one of your passions is supporting your staff in making a journalistic book. And I know that we have a lot of listeners in the audience um, who are coming from schools maybe where um, journalism isn't the tradition or isn't kind of the, the bread and butter uh, of how the yearbook is crafted. And I wanted to talk with you a little bit about how um, your staffs have, have gotten to where they are um, with your support and mentoring and, and what you've observed in other staffs um, making that transition from, say, a, a picture book to a journalistic book. Um, very simply, where do you think it's best for books and, and programs to, to start? Okay. Um, so I would say the, the first place that I start, um, even if it's, if it's my own staff or if it's another staff that I'm just working with at a workshop, um, or critiquing is if, if we're just starting with like, you know, just the, the brass tack fundamentals, um, I, I try to find out what they know, what they already know, what they feel that they do well, what they feel that they don't do well and ask them where they want to go. Um, at the case at Lovejoy, one of the things, when I came in the door, there was already a solid foundation there. Um, <clears throat> they already knew you know, how to shoot photography. They already really understood that. Um, they understood about staff hierarchy and they understood you know, how to buy in as far as like, you know, it, it, accountability. But the problem was <clears throat> they really didn't know how to write and they did not feel that they had design skills. And so from that point, you know, I kind of launch into wanting to understand where they want to go. And uh, for some people, it is about, you know, they just want a journalistically sound book. But for other people, it's about, you know, trying to get out of the crosshairs of administration or, um, you know, we want <clears throat> something that our, our community is going to be proud of. Um, all of those things are really important at some point in, in the, um, the time span of a book. But at the same time, what I really start to focus on is what they want right now. And uh, in my case, they really wanted to learn how to write and they wanted to uh, ditch the um, doing doing like the online online based software for their yearbook. And they really wanted to learn how to do InDesign. And so um, that's where we started. And <clears throat> I try not to take on all of the components of what makes a journalistically sound book, because quite frankly, you just can't. 
Um, I died a little bit inside last year when we didn't have like faculty, um, we call them faculty credits. You know, it's the faculty bylines of what everybody teaches. Um, I died a little inside that we didn't have those in there. And then also we didn't have scoreboards last year and you know what, it's okay. And I knew that that was, um, something that, you know, if, when, if, and when we sent our book off for critiquing and judging and stuff, that that was going to ding us. But, um, at the end of the day, that wasn't the priority last year. So, um, we really focused on writing and we really focused on, uh, learning how to do design. I think last year our design was a mess, <laughs> but at the, at the end of the day, the kids understood what an eyeline was and they understood what like internal spacing was and they knew what a pica was. And, um, if I, now the kids who've returned to me this year, uh, from last year, if they still, um, remember some of their skills, they're building off of that now. And so like one of the things that was really um, awesome to see is that they're writing captions and they're doing it like a beast. I mean, they get it and um, they're really understanding that, you know, the trick is in the reporting uh, on the front side. So that way they don't have to go back three and four and five times to the same person to get some information. And I think that that's really awesome. And so <clears throat> I would say start small and find out what the kids know and what they want. Uh, and where, where do they want to head next? Because um, honestly, that's, that's the, the biggest place to begin. So one of the things that, that you mentioned there that I found really interesting was weighing up the historical record parts of the book and the writing and the storytelling part of the book and kind of both of those fitting under the journalistic umbrella. And I think a lot of advisors don't think of that sometimes that, you know, we, we don't have space for scoreboards or it's too much work to report on what um, clubs the the teachers advised, you know, and put those near their portraits. Can you talk about how you justify the importance of those with your staffs? Yeah, um, actually, that's a good question. So here's my deal. I mean, I try to get the kids to understand that what they're doing is more than just um, a class. It's more than, um, you know, I, I'm constantly, you know, telling them for us, it's a co-curricular organization. We're very lucky. We have the class period, but, it, but there's also some extracurricular opportunities there. And then on top of that, I try to get them to understand that people pay us for a service that we're doing for them. And it's not just about, you know, the fact that they're just going to have this book in their hands and, and we control that content. Um, the important part to me is, is that there is a historical, side of it that they've got to make sure that they're doing. And I, I tell them it like this, you know, at the end of the year, the coaches and stuff, they probably throw all those scoreboards away. Um, the paperwork that comes with each year, I mean, heck, even I do it with my own uh, stuff from year to year, you start to toss things because you just can't keep it all. And at the end of the day, the, the one thing that's going to be that historical record that people can have and refer back to is going to be the yearbook. Another thing that I do um, <clears throat> that actually this year I, I had to do a little bit of this with um, Lovejoy uh, faculty was they've never had those faculty credits before. So I had to really explain to them what they are, um, why we do them. And, you know, and in some cases, like some teachers don't want to even take their portrait. And I try to, you know, put it on the on the side of with the the faculty understand this isn't about you. <laughs> and I try to say that as nice as I possibly can. But then on top of that, I tell them that, you know, at the in 10, 15, 20 years, when kids pull their books down to look up somebody or they're trying to refer to somebody, they they're going to want to remember all you teach. 
um, <clears throat> because maybe they don't realize you in, in the context of, you know, the PALS coordinator, they may understand me more from the sense of yearbook advisor. And, you know, that's by my name, but both of those things are by my name because some kids will know me as a PALS coordinator, but some kids will know me as a yearbook advisor. So um, <clears throat> I think it's really important to have both. And I think it's really important for them to see it from that side. And when I open that, um, that view through that lens, so to speak, with those kids, they, they get it. And then they start to really uh, choose to make sure that we're spelling kids' names correctly. And they choose to make sure that they're working with the coaches, that if there's this one kid's name that they can't remember in that group photo that they go back to and really make sure that they get it um, and they get it right. It's not just about getting it. So, you know, I think it just kind of takes that dialogue and opening up to how important it is. And one of the places to start is always with a um the critique booklet um, from either you know CSPA or J uh, I'm sorry and uh, NSPA um, and then maybe even your state association and we look at those critique booklets and see like what is a journalistically sound book what are these things that we're supposed to have and then try to start hitting those targets that we're we're willing to meet. Yeah, I think that's great guidance. And, and joining with I, I full disclosure, I serve on the board at CSPA, um, and I know that you're active with JA and and with Texas as well. Um, those resources uh, and those memberships are absolutely worth it. Um, and it can be a little daunting, just kind of going sidebar here for a second, to to um, join one of those associations and go for that first critique. Um, but establishing kind of the, that benchmark and saying, this is where we are right now. Now let's dive into these critique books and see where we can improve. Um, that can be so transformative for a staff. And, and to that point, um, you know, you and I start talking about scoreboards or the teacher. What do you call those again? The teacher fact file? What are we call them faculty credits, but that's just an easy faculty way to credits. say. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that's great. I've never... Yep. Yep. No, that works for me. So the faculty credits, you know, there could be um, people listening to the podcast who feel a little bit overwhelmed, like you and I have just added, you know, thing 18 and thing 19 for them to be doing new this year. Um, for for advisors who are feeling overwhelmed, um, you know, wouldn't you suggest, and, and I think you may have heard it on the podcast before, like pick three things, right, for any given year or ever any semester um, maybe maybe on this particular deadline, you're going to try to do one or two things um, differently or better to not get too overwhelmed. Do you take that approach too? Oh, yes, absolutely. Um, <clears throat> so last year, my mantra was I'm a red shirt freshman. Um, for those of you who had no football terms. And the reason why I felt like I was a redshirt freshman was because, you know, I started at another school again and it's starting over. And even though I walked in and there was a solid foundation, it's still starting over because, you know, the kids and I have to build, you know, a rapport with each other. Um, you know, I had to, you know, get a handle on what was going on and what was strong there already, what needed improvement. And um, I really felt like I was just absorbing all year long and just, you know, taking it all in and learning. And yes, we did have a book at the end of the year, but I really didn't push a whole lot because um, I just really wanted to take it all in. And I always just said, you know, just get through it, just survive. I was taking my own advice that I've given so many new advisors before, just survive the first year. Like, don't try to go in changing a whole lot because it's just not... It's, it's too much to take on as one person and to try to make it perfect from the beginning. You just can't. Um, and honestly, I, at the end of the day, I kind of feel like that's the part about this job that I love the most is that there's always something to be doing to improve. And there's always something to uh, learn from in order to get better. And same with the kids. 
Right. Absolutely. There is the, um, you know, and there's always another yearbook around the corner, right? We get to the delivery in May or in August or September, and then we, we do this whole thing all over again. Um, how do you advise? And it's something that I've heard at, at national conventions and workshops where, uh, advisors have said, uh, or staffs have come up to me and said, you know, you talk about journalistic books, but all our students want is just more pictures. They want pictures of themselves and pictures and mm-hmm. nobody really wants to read stories and nobody reads the stories that we write anyway. Um, I know my litany of responses, but kind of role playing it out. Where do you start with an advisor or a staff that's, that's coming to you saying our, our student body doesn't want journalistic stories. They don't, they don't want more copy. They don't want words. I would say they're probably not writing a uh, well-written copy then. Um, I put it this way to the kids, you know, everybody <clears throat> at some point is an avid reader in that either it's a magazine, it's social media, it's uh, a book, it's a book series, you know, going back to Harry Potter. I mean, oh my gosh, I remember just everybody dying to have the next version or the next book that was out. And I, I, well, I never got into Harry Potter. Um, what I did take away from it, and I told the kids this all the time, that, you know what, the reason why people love to read it is because it's well-written. And um, we need to get to a point to where things are well-written, because if they are, then that's going to grip people just like good photos. Um, photos that have captions with direct quotes to bring this, the story to the reader or give the readers something they wouldn't otherwise know by looking at the photo. Those are the little nuggets that you can plant in your copy in order for people to feel like they are like reading that's worth their while. And sometimes my kids get into a battle and I, you know, with <clears throat> they'll, they'll give me some copy and I'll look at it and I'll ask them, I'm like, why should I read this? Like, what are you giving me that I don't already know? And there's at first they're so offended <laughs> right. by what I'm telling them. But at the same time, I'm like, well, you have to think of it from the reader's perspective. I mean, everybody's lazy inherently, and we've got to get around that. So we've got to make it worth their time. Um, so that way they're engaged by it. And, you know, in some cases, the best journalism is when your life's changed by it. But Um, With yearbook copy and telling a story, I think the biggest thing that we can do is give voice to the voiceless on certain issues that maybe aren't talked about, but that can resonate with people forever. And, um, you know, I think that's where it's been a game changer for my kids to like really, you know, talk about some of those um, issues that maybe they wouldn't normally bring out. And the reason why they're doing it is not because they want to be brash or, um, you know, try to like one up the administration or anything like that. I don't feel like it's that at all. I feel like it's, um, they're, they're trying to be responsible about it. Um, they want to be professional about it, but at the same time, they want to shed light on some things that, um, need to be talked about. And then at the same time, they're also giving it, uh, reverence in a place that, um, will live forever. So maybe, while maybe it, you know, might not be an issue today for somebody, maybe it's an issue down the road and they could come across that copy again. And, um, you know, read that story in a different light. Yeah. And when, when those kids say, well, nobody, nobody wants to read our copy anyway, it's, it, it's like, and I think you and I are in agreement on this. No, nobody wants to read bad copy, right? <laughs> That's the- Exactly. I mean, if you're going to misspell a word in a headline, I mean, come on. You know? <laughs> right. Right. So, so for advisors and staffs that, that really do want to make the transition, um, one piece of advice I've both heard and then retaught is with a picture book or a heavily, uh, photo centered book. Um, that's, that's only just kind of setting out on this path. Start with the captions, right? Start with a good journalistic caption on all, or at least most of the photos, the dominant photos, you know, where, and when we can, that next piece of transition might be including quotes, 
and doing that basic reporting and interviewing. Um, can you explore that kind of advice and those starting steps as a, as a foundation for establishing a, a journalistic book? Yes. Um, if you're starting small, yeah, you know, just, just take on an, a, a, a caption model that everybody can agree on and get going on that. Um, cause in a caption, you're going to still get interviewing done <clears throat> and you're going to do reporting, but at the same time, it's going to be on a much smaller scale. So it might be less intimidating. Um, so anytime that there's, you know, any resources um, to pass on to the kids, I'll, I'll jump on that. Let me give you an example. Lori Oglesby just put out, um, she's, you know, tweeting a lot from her hashtag writing tips with Miss O. And um, I've been following it. And one of the one time she had sent out a little caption um uh, I think it was a Google slide and, and it was, and it said something like captions is three sentences for God's sake. <laughs> and that was on her title slide. I was like, yes, I mean, why is this so hard? It's not, you know, and, and, uh, but of course, you know, I come from years of experience. So, you know, I give kids resources like that all the time. Um, that, you know, we do go over the fundamentals in the very beginning of the year. Um, we do talk about it. Um, usually I like the editors to lead that, that, um, training and then also empower the kids. Um, so that way they see them as leaders. But then on top of that, you know, we do practice it. We have some fake captions. We're writing those up and then we get into the real stuff. And after that, then it's about enforcing. So like when I saw that one particular, um, thing that Lori, uh, Oglesby put out, you know, I immediately, uh, spoon fed it to my kids through, uh, group me. And I told them, I'm like, look, look, here's somebody else saying the exact same thing I'm saying, but at the same time, it's coming from a different way. It's coming from a different voice. And sometimes that helps just sync the learning. And, um, you know, I had kids who went to Chicago and they came out and they're like, oh, you know, we're writing captions the same way that these people are doing it. I'm like, yes, yes, we are, you know, because it's Shocking. a thing. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I know. And so I think it's just really important you know, if you're starting small and copy is, is one of those areas to go in, I say caption writing is the area that you could be most successful in, um, to fix or to improve or to learn, um, because it is only three sentences for God's sake. So, um, I think that that's also uh, just the greatest place to, to start. It's the easiest place, especially for those younger kids who are trying to just get going. And I think you and I can probably make this uh, practical on, on a quick consensus. We're talking about on a three-sentence model for captions, a description sentence that describes what's going on actively in the picture frame, uh, an extension sentence that adds some additional fact or context, and then a quote, and that's your one, two, three. Would you go with that? Yes, that is exactly what we Excellent. do. Take that one to the bank. Um, Lori Oglesby <laughs> is a must follow on Twitter um, for advisors and staffs alike. Uh, she's at L Oglesby, O-G-L-E-S-B-E-E. -E. And uh, I think you said the hashtag is writing tips with Ms. O. It's a great follow. Um, yes. Looking at her feed right now, her word cemetery is the pinned tweet. Um, words like uh -huh. fun and suddenly and joys and a lot and today's society. All great stuff to eradicate from your writing. My cemetery After word is we, amazing. I absolutely hate yeah, that word. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Fun. I'm, I'm with fun and, and very, um, very is awful. Um, oh, but, yes, uh, very. Yeah. Um, <laughs> when we get past captions, um, are we then exploring copy in a basic LQTQ lead quote transition quote? I mean, that's a great place for most 
kind of beginner staffs or advisors who are newer to it to start with? Yes. Or would you advise them to go somewhere else? Yeah, I, I agree with that. Um, I would say another thing I do is, um, I, I try to, to coach my new ones, um, for lead writing, like put that last, like try to figure out what quote you want to jump into after the lead and get your story written and then come back to the lead for whatever reason, those new ones, um, lead writing is so intimidating. They just don't think that they can get it right. And I totally understand that. And I tell, you know, as far as editing goes, um, you know, one of the theories that I subscribe to is slap crap on a paper and um, get it out of your head and then edit your way to the good lead or edit your way to the good caption or the good headline. Um, And so, you know, get all the bad stuff out of your head because if you're just staring at a blank screen and you're trying to to figure out like what is the right thing to put down, it's never gonna come. Um, And I I think editing skills are lacking before the kids really get to us anyway. So we're having to teach them how to edit. And um, that is one of the things that, you know, you're constantly working with. So I'd rather than get the bad stuff out and then let's edit our way to it. And then I, and then I also coach them about how, when you're, when you're dealing with that, you know, it's not personal. This isn't about how, you know, you're a terrible writer based off of how many marks I'm making on your, on your, um, writing. But at the same time, it's us trying to, to evolve our writing and get to a point to where it's really good. Not just, you know, here, I'm just turning this in for the sake of getting something done. What is your editing process like uh, and, and how are your student editors empowered in that process to, to take the lead and model and guide it for the staff? Um, well, let's see. Every year it changes <laughs> and it all yeah, it here, always, here. <laughs> yeah, it always depends on who is um, in charge and what they're in charge of. Um, I would say as far as the editing process goes, we have a, a step system. So all the mini deadlines that lead to the major deadline, um, you know, are those small little steps. Um, so at first it's, you know, um, dealing with, you know, what are we going to cover on the spread? And then it deals with photos and then confirming, have we, are we still on the same track of covering what we're doing or what we set, set out to cover? Um, <clears throat> but then after that, when we get into the writing, Um, we do a copy edit with, um, I have two copy editors this year, um, which I'm super thrilled about because last year, remember we had none. (laughs) And so this year I have two and they love it. And I'm so excited. They love it. Um, and so, uh, and they tackle it. They're really detail oriented kids. Um, that would be one thing I would suggest if you're, um, looking for an editor to do copy editing. I mean, I would definitely make sure it's a detail oriented kid. Um, and then they sit down and they coach, um, the kid with their writing and they talk with them about what they found, you know, where, you know, some common pitfalls that they keep going towards, or maybe, you know, how to avoid this next time, those types of things. And then the kids fix their edits and then they turn around and give it back to them again, um, in order to verify that they have made the corrections that the copy editor said to make, um, from there, is that, is that- oh, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. Is that process enabled through Google Docs or Google Drive? Yes. Um, they, so I, I realize that I might get my hand slapped from some people who are technology savvy because I'm very, very tech savvy, but this is one area that I do firmly believe that we need to get the copy off of the spreads. We need to put it on a Google doc, double space it and print it out and edit it on paper. 
Um, I don't know what it is about that screen, but when people are editing on screen, yes, you can find stuff, but I don't know something about when the kids actually print it out and they're looking at it in their hands, they catch so much more, um, than if it's just on the screen. That's really interesting advice. That's, uh, I'm sure you've got the, the data, the, the anecdotal data to back that up. Uh, thank you for sharing that. Um, as you yeah. guys creep closer and closer to deadline, how does the copy mature and come into its final form? Um, so after the copy editor has verified um, that the edits have been made on those Google Docs, um, then the kids start moving it over to the spread and getting it in design uh, <clears throat> form. And then from there, um, when everything is finally on the spread, that's usually when it's like, oh, dang it, I didn't create a headline or Oh no, I've got these lead-ins to write for these captions. Right, right, yeah, absolutely. Um, so it's it's a bunch of that. But then um, once they get it all, you know, where they want it to and, and the design is done as well, uh, they will print it out, um, again, editing on paper, and uh, they'll turn it into uh, one of two of my co-chiefs and they actually look at it. And we subscribe to the theory that you can't get enough eyes on these spreads. Um, you can't get enough eyes on the writing. You can't get enough eyes on any of that. So um, <clears throat> what we like to do is those two edit. So um, one will edit on paper, give it back to the, to the person who's doing the spread. Um, they'll make those corrections, and then the other editor will actually verify those edits. But at the same time, they're also double checking, you know, looking at everything else. And at that point is when we submit it to the plant. Um, and then it, when it comes back, that's when I will look at it and give my input. And then if there's anything to fix, the kids will fix it. Um, and then from there, then that's when we do an all staff edit. Uh, get all the pages out. They're all on paper again. We're hanging them up. We're looking at them. Um, and, uh, like Ava Butsu, I know does that and, um, you know, they put them out and just tack them, uh, as a staff as well. And that's what we do. And it is, it is successful because here's what I have found, you know, that kid who's been working on that spread the whole entire time, there's, there's something about it when you get that freshman who never saw it finally looking at that spread, they're going to catch something. Oh, absolutely. About, yeah. They get know, blinders on. Yep. Yep. Yes. Yes. So, and then on top of that, you know, they'll be, oh, well, that's not so-and-so. I know who so-and-so is and that is not her. <laughs> you know, we'll do that. Um, we also do, um, so uh, our publisher a long time ago, you know, had me subscribe to this method of getting this spread out in the hands of the kids who are covered on it. And so we do that as well. Uh, we're a firm believer in that. I've done it for many years. And uh, so what we do is on the, we have a flyer that on the front of the flyer, it says, congratulations, you're in the yearbook. And it tells them what page they're on, gives them the sales information. If yes, they've bought one or no, they haven't. And here's the information on how to buy one. But then on the back, it has the spread in black and white for them to look at what we've covered them on. And um, it, and actually says, you know, we care what you think, you know, please let us know if there's something wrong. Uh, we want to know. And then we give them a date that they have to tell us by. <clears throat> and, um, and we get those out in the school and it's a lot of work, but it's, to me, it's totally worth it. And um, the kids even see that it's totally worth it because those, the kids, you know, of course I would in a realistic world, if, if, you know, we were out, you know, I don't know, working for some newspaper, we would not do this. However, the yearbook is forever and it's going to live forever. And the kids who are covered in that book, I just want to make sure that we have done you know, what we can to our true self, um, and making sure that we've covered them accurately. Um, that's more what I'm worried about 
at that point. And so, you know, we'll get kids that'll come in and, you know, they'll be like, you know what, um, my quote, you know, is, is this, but I really feel like I need to clarify what I meant there. Or, you know, we'll get some kid who'll say, no, 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 no. There's, there was like three more kids in this photo that y'all cropped out. And, you know, it's going to, it's going to start a fight between us if it's just, you know, these five kids instead of these adding these other three kids in the photo that did happen last year. Um, wow. And again, you know, we're just, we're just, you know, we have our blinders on in the room and we're just trying to get done what we can to a solid journalistic product. But at the end of the day, I care about what those kids think too. Um, names misspelled, things like that. And, you know, on the, on the other side of that, I will say the little gift that was unexpected in the middle of all those flyers, I kind of send those flyers out and I hunker down like, Oh gosh, here it comes. <laughs> the little gift right, yeah, in, yeah. in, in all of this. Yeah. Um, is those kids really care and they'll come in and they'll, they'll let us know what's going on and it, and it encourages them to buy into the book and it encourages them to respect the work that's going on in our room. Um, <clears throat> usually when they come in and they're turning those forms in, they see what's going on, but at the same time, they, they, they see it. And, um, they, I don't know, something happens in the middle of all of that. that they're like, wow, you like, you really care what I think. And, um, you know, they'll let us know. And then on top of that, the other good news about this is I don't really have a whole lot of complaints at the end of the year because everybody did have that opportunity to have a say so in. And wow. that's to me yeah. is a big, big gift <laughs> at the end of the year. You know, when you started, when you started on, on sharing this anecdote, I, I was kind of, I wasn't, I wasn't buying it. I, I'll be honest with you. I, <laughs> I, um, I'm all about, uh, and, and it's been a change, right? Let's say definitely over the last 10 years and then maybe over the last five with, with really the, the, um, the advent of engaging, um, with your audience on, on social media. Um, but this idea of mm -hmm. showing spreads off, you know, uh, we're coming into the time for that with Tesserae, perhaps in early February is when we really start saying, you know, these spreads are buttoned down and, and let's show small previews of them on our social media feeds. Um, but the idea mm -hmm. of giving the spread over entirely to the audience or to the students that are featured on that page and saying, we're open to your feedback. Um, I, I just, I was going to say I have questions, but you answered most of them, and, and I just I just need to I need to think and reflect, and it's really really interesting. I'm not sure that it's right for us, but I'm so glad that you shared that. Um, you know, one of the things that I know that you're passionate about too is is the practice of ethical journalism, and you talked about in the real world, um, you probably you know newspapers wouldn't follow that that same. Not not that newspapers aren't fact checked and things. Let's be clear about that. Right, but, right, right. Um, how do you how do you instill in kids who are new to it? And, and we know you've got a broad based uh, set of experiences uh, across the spectrum of, of journalism education, um, fully recognizing that, you know, Lit Mag is different than yearbook is different than newspaper and online. But for our yearbook reporters, how do you instill in them the importance of, of functioning as ethical journalists? And and, and how do you empower them to to sometimes maybe even even make mistakes and, and turn those into teachable moments what has that been like for you wow that's a heavy question <laughs> that's a whole other episode um, of the podcast <laughs> yeah it probably is um you know man i think i really start with you know teaching them about what libel and slander is um and really getting them to understand that uh, we also look at like how it's happened in the professional world um, where libel and slander has come into play and, 
you know, to get them to just open their eyes up to, you know, somebody can sue you, like you, not just me, you. And um, <clears throat> dealing with that, you know, um, we've had, you know, we've had those conversations. Um, and then on top of it, um, I think that the going back to those flyers and and to me that's also part of the editing process. Um, but the other thing about those flyers is, is it holds my reporters accountable right. um, because you know I tell them you know hey this is going to go out in those kids' hands and they're going to get to look at it and if you're being sloppy or lazy just because you don't want to go out and interview again or whatever the case might be. Um, you know, we're going to, we're going to find out. I mean, I do get some that come back and they'll say, I didn't say this. And my kids get really mad <laughs> when a kid comes in and says that. And, and I, and I always tell them like, well, back it up, show me, show me where they did say it and I will have your back. And it's not that I don't have their back from the beginning. I do. Um, <clears throat> but if there's one kid that it keeps popping up over and over again, yeah, we've got a whole other different conversation on our hands um, to discuss. And, um, you know, now I've um, this year, we actually created a master Google Drive folder that has, you know, every single yearbook spread in it. There's a folder created and in and, and all of those we have Google Docs like so if they're, you know, those Google Docs I was telling you about earlier you know, all those are saved in there. And then on top of it, um, I've noticed that the kids have started saving all their audio files in there yes, too. Yes, yes, yes. Um, <clears throat> which I'm like, yay, you know, and I didn't even ask them to do that. They just started doing that. But, um, this year, you know, I started to encourage it, um, after seeing that in place so much last year that now we have this master file and we're like, you know, why don't we just put them all there and name the right. files for whoever it was that was interviewed. And, um, that's really helped a lot in that whole accountability yeah. um, side of it. Um, and then I think on top of that, you know, I, I don't know if it's a character thing and who I pick or what, but I don't really seem to have a whole lot of issues with kids making stuff up. Um, if I do, it's handled swiftly um, and carefully and, um, uh, strategically. So then that way the other kids know just enough, um, that, you know, this is what happens when this, this occurs, but then on the backside, we, um, handle it in a professional way. So that way the kid doesn't feel, you know, totally ostracized by their peers and whatnot. Right. Right. The, um, the audio recording piece, um, my kids use voice memo and, and voice recorders on their droids and iPhones. Uh -huh. We explored just briefly last year um, the new web app Otter, which offers, uh, just like the animal, O-T-T-E-R, and it offers real-time transcription um, services. We haven't really taken a deep dive on that. I think, uh, I think John Rogers covered it at uh, jeadigitalmedia.org. But saving those audio files as backup, so when the kid comes to you when the book drops and says, I didn't say that, and you can say, actually, yeah, you did. It's right here. Um, that has helped us uh, twice in, in recent memory. Um, that transition, I agree. Go, go I agree. Ahead. Yeah, sorry. That transition to student control and, and having your um, student editors be empowered, I know that's a, a fixture in your publications um, for advisors who want to embrace a more journalistic book and empower uh, their students first amendment speech rights as reporters um, what advice can you offer on on sharing uh, or, or on i guess maybe yes maybe maybe it is sharing control or transitioning to student control um, what what have you observed in other labs where you've consulted or where students and advisors have struggled with that uh, th those power dynamics 
Um, I would say, you know, it's, it's definitely an open and honest conversation that you have to have at the beginning. Uh, you know, last year when, um, I, when I got to Lovejoy, um, it was, it was a different dynamic than the school I was at before. So prior to Lovejoy, I was at Heritage in uh, Frisco, Texas. And, um, that program, I started brand new. So I was the first and only person on staff when the building opened in 2009. And I, you know, I was starting from scratch. And so I was everything at the beginning of that one, but here there was something more established. Um, and so I would say if you're walking into an established program where, you know, there's already kids there and, um, there was an advisor before I, I would have that open and honest conversation with them about, um, you know, just, you know, here is what an advisor's job is. My job is to oversee. Um, my job is to just make sure that you're not printing something libelous, distasteful, or unprofessional. Um, nothing that's going to get us in, into any hot water, if at all possible, um, for the, you know, for the, all the wrong reasons, the un- unprofessional reasons. And, you know, and at the end of the day, I have already graduated high school. I am not, you know, part of this yearbook staff, I'm over it to help you, but I'm not over it to, you know, do it all. And, um, from there, then we, you know, start to define the roles of what an editor is and what their job should be and what a staff member is and what their job should be. Um, and any other roles, um, that are on the, on the team, you know, we make sure that we have defined them clearly and make sure that we know exactly, um, what everybody's doing and when they're doing it. Um, and then from there, you know, it's, what does this look like? And trying to come up with that editing chain, like I was telling you earlier, you know, our, our editing process, our workflow every year is different because I just, I I firmly believe that I need to, um, you know, work with the people that are in front of me, not try to have them fit some kind of mold. And, um, so when we're coming up with that workflow, you know, we think about all of those things and who's going to be in charge of what, and what, you know, this is your baby, this isn't my baby, you know, those types of things. And then, you know, we strategically put me in, um, depending on where it is. And so this is the first year where I had the kids tell me that they only wanted me to edit, um, as far as like reviewing their spreads and stuff, they only wanted me to look at them one time. And, um, normally I have the kids are like, we want you to see them like three or four times. <laughs> I'm like, no, <laughs> I can't <Yeah>. do that. <laughs> I think the plants can be really mad at us <laughs> if I do yeah. that. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, it's, it's trying to find that balance between what you're willing to do and, um, what the kids should do. And, um, I think that that's something that people who are experienced can help with. Um, and, and like what you're saying with dealing with other schools, you know, I, I'm constantly asking questions and trying to figure out like what their particular situation is. And then from there, then it's about, okay, where do you want to go? And a lot of times that the advisor's like, I am so tired of being the last car in the parking lot. Well, and then we address that and figure out ways in order to make that not be the the situation. So that advisor doesn't leave their job prematurely. Right. Um, You know, it's, you know, it's it's, it's been a real it's been a real theme, sorry, with the with the podcast that that you've uh, over the last year. You're you're probably the tenth person who's been on and said that your leadership structure and your procedures, um, you give yourselves the freedom to reinvent that and reimagine that every year. And I think that's so healthy. Um, and it, it's I don't know that that's particular to developing a journalistic book, but just a healthy uh, and self sustaining yearbook culture and program where the kids are empowered to 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 stake their claim to this particular year. And that you as an advisor recognize that 
the kids that you have here and now are, are not the same and don't have the same skills, talents, and abilities that last year's crew did. That's very, very healthy. Well, thanks. I, I mean, I, I definitely think it's it's vital um, <clears throat> only because, you know, like you said, every year's different. And honestly, and that's what keeps me coming back is that every year's different. It kind of presents right. a whole new set of challenges. Right, right. Um, you know, we talked a little bit about, um, you know, uh, well, I, I want to discuss a little bit about um, inspiration seeking with you. When you're sharing with your kids um, or when you've offered advice at workshops and, and conventions or when you visited another school to, to, uh, to consult, uh, do you have them looking at other great uh, yearbooks and, and crown and pacemaker books? Do you have them look at professional media? Is it yes and all of that? Or, or where do they seek uh, inspiration for, for great journalism? Oh, yes. Um, so... I would say um, the first place that I started off with is I found out that my publishing company has sample books that they pick every year at the end of the year. They'll pick a handful of sample books around, I don't know, maybe like 20-ish or so. And um, those become the sample kit that all their reps can order. And, um, you know, they're also the books that you know, you might see when you go to workshop and things like that, um, because those are the books that the um, publisher has chosen to show off. Um, when I found out that those exist, I was on it. Yeah, <laughs> I told absolutely. my rep, I said, uh, like, can I get these? You know, and I found out it was like a nominal price. It, uh, it's not that expensive. I want to say um, like $100, $200, somewhere in there to get those books, you know, in the summertime. Um, and, you know, the very first thing I started to do with that is I would just devour those and look and figure out, you know, <clears throat> who who understood journalistically, um, sound products and who didn't or whatever. And then on top of that at workshops, you know, I was constantly um, looking at the books that, you know, any of the reps would bring to sample and I would have my kids, I'd pull my kids out um, of class here and there in order to go and look at the sample books and, you know, find and get inspired and those types of things. And then eventually I started trading um, <clears throat> locally in Dallas. Um, I'm very fortunate to be a part of a group, um, with uh, my Jostens uh, team that uh, we're all with. And we've just, there's a group of close-knit advisors that we meet together about once a month um, just to decompress and, and have some fun. But at the same time, we always trade in May. And so um, we, you know, started that and then that's kind of grown. And um, then on top of that, now I'm part of a national group that trades and oh my gosh, it's like, you know, Christmas in July yeah. when you're getting all these books because you get to look and see what people are doing. And then eventually, you know, I turn them over to the kids and then they tear them up and are looking through them and, um, <clears throat> looking at the good and all that. Um, you know, I, I, I know this sounds silly, but I also want the bad books too. Mm -hmm. Um, and I don't mean to say bad in a bad way. I mean, like, you know, just, there's just some growing areas um, for, for these particular schools um, that they need to do too, because I want to show the kids that, you know, like to know these skills and to be able to put them in motion is um, it, it takes work. And on top of that, you know, here's what it looks like if you don't pay attention to that. And here's what it looks like if you do. And um, that also really clicks with them too. I mean, they, they really appreciate being able to, to understand it from that perspective as well. 
Now, I know one of the other parts of your um, professional network and, and your passions uh, have been directed at, at being connected to the national scene through the Journalism Education Association. You've been active with the curriculum writing uh, that, that's been developed in the last probably, what, three years now, if not a little bit longer than that. Um, particularly, if I have it right, within the leadership and the team building module, uh, which sound like they're uh, you know, domains that are near and dear to your heart. But could you just explore the JEA curriculum a little bit for people who haven't heard about it? Maybe give us an example of something that exists in one of those modules that you contributed to? Sure. Um, yes. So uh, for the, so if you go to JEA.org and if you're a member, <clears throat> you can actually go under, I believe it's um, educators and then there's the place that says curriculum. And um, if you go there, you're going to need a, a username and password. Um, if you don't know what your username or password is, if you just email headquarters, they're super amazing. And they will get back to you really quick and help you um, get your username and password. So that way you can hop in. Um, and then when you're in the curriculum, um, there were initially there was um, 13 modules, but then they uh, they narrowed them down to 11. And now, um, now I'm actually done with my particular stint on the um, curriculum committee, but uh, I know what they're evolving to next is they're just trying to reorganize it in a way that people can access what they want quickly. Um, so if you actually walk in there right now, uh, you're going to see a whole list of just different lessons that are out there um, on those 11 uh, particular areas. Um, so there's like designers writing, uh, photojournalism, media, uh, literacy, news gathering, um, leadership and team building. Uh, those are the ones I can think of off the top of my head, but <clears throat> nonetheless, you can go into any of those, those umbrella topics and then find something else, uh, that you might want to use. And inside the, inside each one, you're going to have a lesson it's going to have like um, the the different, um, I think it's all tied back to the common core, uh, whatever, you know, item that is in the common core, core that aligns with, it will list that for you. So if you're having to build lesson plans, hopefully it makes it easy on you um, that you can just, you know, simply copy paste over to whatever um, template the administrators are having you use. And then on the bottom, it gives you the descriptions of like each step-by-step step what to do, how long it should take, how long it should take you to prepare it. But then there's also um, attachments. So like if there's a worksheet or a presentation or whatever, they're all there. Um, in the leadership and team building module, uh, one of the lessons that I did is I actually did about building um uh, job descriptions for each uh, person on staff. Um, so I was talking about that a minute ago. If you actually wanted to go and see like how ours was set up, um, uh, it's actually from when I uh, I built it for off of my stuff from Heritage from two years ago. But uh, nonetheless, you could go in there and see like how I would itemize with my kids. Like here are the job descriptions for uh, this particular role or this particular role and uh, <clears throat> how we just break it down in order to make sure that we all know what each other is expected to do. So that's kind of how, how roughly it works. And JEA is just, I mean, I, I can't say enough. I'm, I'm a member, you're a member. Our lives have both been touched and so, I think, improved by being part of the professional learning community there, the network, the both the formal and informal, the friendship groups. Uh, I, I know for me, it's just given me so much over the last uh, going on probably 10 years or so. Um, it's, uh, this curriculum module is just, it's an incredible resource for advisors. 
Yeah, absolutely. And well, and I'll say on that part, I mean, when I was a brand new advisor and I had no idea what I was doing, I mean, JEA was one of those places that I plugged in and the annual membership, you just can't beat it. And then on top of it, all the resources that you get from it, um, man, yeah, it's, it's totally worth the money. Even if you have to uh, spend the money on your own, like if your um, school doesn't pay for it for you, it's right. one of those professional associations that you should be a part of for yeah. sure. Yeah, it's, a, it's just an absolute no-brainer. Well, listen, Rebecca, as we wrap up here, uh, it's now 2019 and uh, we're on season two of the Yearbook Wise podcast. I'm asking all of January's guests uh, to share a little bit of either reflection or looking forward. What's your 2019 New Year's book resolution? Oh, this is hard. <laughs> uh, there's so many places, but I'll, I, like I said, I'll start small. Um, well, I can tell you we're going to have those faculty credits in the yearbook this year. There you go. <laughs> So that, that, that's one. Um, we are doing scoreboards this year, um, you know, really trying to, to add a comprehensive um, you know, reference piece to our book that wasn't there last year. So uh, I definitely feel like that's one resolution moving forward. Um, on top of that, I think it's really just taking time to be with the kids, uh, having fun with them, nurturing them, um, just continuing to build our relationships together. Um, at the end of this month, We're actually going to a place locally that's um, about team building and it has ropes courses. It's indoors. So that'll be good in January. Um, But it's all about team building and um, helping you realize your potential. And uh, we're doing that end of January together as a group, Um, you know, just trying to, you know, do whatever we can conscientiously to build relationships with each other. Um, because ultimately at the end of the day, your book aside, that's what matters is, um, you know, taking care of these young people and, uh, helping them realize their potential. And I think if I, I've got my timeline, right, I think you and I were commenting in on some posts last night on Facebook where you had chimed in saying that, you know, it can be counterintuitive to, to put a pin in the production and stop and invest time in staff culture. But when you invest that time, it does pay off and you somehow come out ahead. Yes. Um, and I, you know, I, I battled that. I remember a few years back, I was like, I'm not doing that because <laughs> if I take away time from the, from, from the production, then we're going to be even later, you know, on our deadlines. And, you know, one year I just threw caution in the wind and I just did it. And I, you know, my mouth was open because my jaw dropped and I was like, wow, this really did work. And, um, yeah, the kids are, are twice as invested in the whole product and they, uh, will come back at it hungrier than ever and they'll get it done. And you know what? We, we, every time year after year, I do this and we, um, make time for this, even in the middle of a busy, productive, you know, proof season, uh, I find out that we still make the deadline. And at the end of the day, there's still a book in May <laughs> and, you know, I, you know, I can't, I, I wouldn't trade that for anything. Uh, wise words from Rebecca Pollard, a 2018 Distinguished Yearbook Advisor of the Year, advisor at Lovejoy uh, High School in Lucas, Texas. Rebecca, thank you so much for sharing today on the podcast. Sure, absolutely. It was a pleasure. As I am with all of our guests, I'm, I'm really grateful that uh, Rebecca shared with us her expertise and perspectives today on the Yearbook Wise podcast. Uh, Just for sake of a quick wrap-up, remember that if you want to find the podcast online, you can do so at Twitter at at YourBookWise. That's YourBook, W-H-Y-S. You can always reach out to me at iteachyearbook at gmail.com. And once again, I want to highlight some of the resources available to us as advisors. Uh, If you check out at NationalJEA on Twitter or JEA.org, 
That will take you to the Journalism Education Association. You can check out at JEA Press Rights on Twitter or JEASPRC.org for the Scholastic Press Rights Committee, an absolutely invaluable resource. Also check out SPLC.org for the Student Press Law Center. For now, friends, be well. Good luck. We'll talk soon.